This past week, I've been reminded a couple of times again why you need to be careful what you preach. There I was this past Monday on the racquetball court doing something that I've done a thousand times before, many times before. I played lots of racquetball in the course of my lifetime, and I was playing normal game. I was thoroughly warmed up. I didn't trip. I didn't stumble. Nothing out of the ordinary The ball had been hit, and I just pushed off my leg to go and hit the ball. And as I pushed off on my leg, I felt a significant pop in my calf. A pop that felt like someone was just hitting me as hard as they could on the back of my calf. And down I collapsed on the court and trying to figure out what was going on and wondering what just happened to my body. I sort of crawled and made my way to the car and got home and went in the house. And Jen immediately was like, what did you do? I'm like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. And thankfully, she was like, Matt, you have to go to the doctor. No, it'll be fine. And Matt, you have to go to the doctor. Finally went to the doctor. And I'm glad I did because I did have to get an MRI and found out that I have at least two ripped muscles in my calf. So it was more than just a cramp or something like that. So I had to get a boot and some other things. And then on Monday evening, I was there, and my kids had been in school that day. They are now done with school. But that evening, when they got home or that afternoon, my daughter Alex looked at me, and she saw me, and she saw me hobbling around and how slow I was moving. And she kind of got then, after a couple of minutes, literally like this burst of thought in her mind. And I saw her eyes light up. And I said, what are you thinking? And she was like, Dad, this is what you've been preaching on, to slow down and breathe. And I was like, well, yeah. And I I had a number of thoughts go through my head. But all I said to her was, well, thank you, dear, uh, for making that connection. But I think she was kind of right in that. I mean, this is going to force me to slow down a little bit and figure out how to breathe a little bit more. I was getting ready for this specific message a number of days ago and you know, really kind of thinking about what it means to breathe. And as I was working on this sermon, I had another appointment that I needed to get to. And I was literally looking at the clock. and was like, I still have 10 minutes, five minutes, three minutes. Oh, I can fit a little bit more in two minutes. Oh, I can still fit a little bit more in 30 seconds and finish up. So finally, by the time I had to go and get to the next appointment, I was literally as fast as I could rushing to my car. I jump in my car and now I know I'm pushing it. But here's what I'm thinking. Literally, in my head, I'm like, you know what? I will be fine as long as there's no traffic, as long as there are no red lights, as long as people don't get in my way. And if the other person's a few minutes late, I'll be fine. And I'm saying this to myself, thinking completely logically, like that should be the norm. So I get in my car and I'm heading out again, thinking as long as everything's cleared out, I will be fine. I'm zipping down the street. But again, I have no room for air, no margin. My heart rate is starting to rise a little bit. I'm hoping I'm going to make it on time. I'm clenching the steering wheel just a little bit more tightly. And wouldn't you know it, right as I was getting to a particular intersection where I didn't have a stop sign, somebody pulled out right in front of me. And I mean right in front. Like, I don't even think they saw me because I had to significantly apply pressure to the brakes and stop or I would have hit them. I don't think they saw me at all. And I had to slow way down. I was like, what are they doing? And I felt my blood pressure go up a little bit more. My hands gripped the steering wheel a little more tightly. That was irritation number one. Then not only did they pull out in front of me, but as we were driving, they literally drove 10 miles an hour below the speed limit. And I know this because I thought, why are you going so slow? And I checked the speedometer to see we were going 25 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. What are you doing? And I gripped the steering wheel a little bit more tighter. I'm looking at the clock and time is running out. 
But then came my favorite from my friend, who's going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. We come to some intersections, and the folks coming the, the, the crossway, they had stop signs that they had to stop for. But for us going this way, we had no stop sign. Didn't the person in front of me stop for an imaginary stop sign? We didn't have one. And they did this three times in a row. I couldn't believe it. And so here I am, and I'm getting so irritated, and I'm gripping the steering wheel. My heart rate is racing. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I can't believe this. This is so unfair. What are the odds of this? I'm the victim here. I, I mean, if this car wouldn't have been in front of me, and if it wouldn't keep going slow, if there wouldn't have been the traffic and all these things, I'd have been just fine. But all this unfair stuff is happening to me. It's so unfair. Why does this stuff always happen to me? And it was about that time that I felt God's distinct but gentle and clear presence and voice sort of check me in my spirit and say, really, Matt, all of your stress right now, all of your lack of breath right now, it's all because of these unusual circumstances? Or is it because you made choices to leave no breathing room in your life? You made choices to leave no margin in your life. Truthfully, Matt, which is it? And of course, I knew the answer. It was mostly my choices that had created the lack of space and margin for what was really going on in my life. Now, I like to believe that my inability to breathe is caused by other circumstances, and occasionally it is. But much more often than not, my inability to breathe is caused by my choices rather than my external circumstances. And as we've been talking about in this sermon series, we need breathing room in our lives. God desires breathing room in our lives. Not only is our ability to breathe by God, not only is it better for us, it is essential for life. It's how God made us. It's no secret that we need breath for our well-being. That is not shocking news. It's not just a convenience to be able to breathe. It's essential to our survival. We cannot live without breath. The average person at rest takes 16 breaths a minute. That results in over 23,000 breaths a day, or if you actually do the math, 23,040 to be specific. Now, that comes out to 14,000 liters of air a day per person. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I'm sort of spatially challenged. I can't even comprehend how much... 14,000 liters of air looks like. So if you want to know how much that is, picture 7,000 of your 7,000 two liter bottles of your favorite soda or pop, whatever you call it, Coke, Pepsi, whatever. Picture 7,000 two liter bottles. That's how much breath, much air we take in, breathe every single day from every single one of us. When I was in high school, I played the piano for our show choir, and I still remember the music director explaining to the group, to those who were singing, the importance of breathing. She was very careful to explain that when you were singing, the breath should come from very deep within us so that you get the full power and the full effect in your singing. And for all of us, whether we sing or not, the breath should come from deep within us so that we can experience the fullness of God, the fullness of life we were intended to have. For many of us, the primary way we get our energy is through our breathing. Actually, up to 99% of our energy comes from breathing. And yet most of us breathe only from our chest. We rarely stop and take in that full breath that would come all the way down from like our diaphragm from within inside of us. And so when we do that, instead of getting 99% of the energy that we need, we usually only get about 20% because of our shallow breathing and... 
kind of only from your chest. And when that happens, we literally miss out on life when we do not breathe the way we're intended to breathe. Think for just a moment how crucial breath is to our lives. One of the very first things that doctors do for a newborn baby is they make sure in moments, almost immediately, that when the baby is there, that suddenly the baby can breathe. And so the baby crying is a wonderful thing because it's drawing air needed for life, breath needed for life into its lungs. And one of the things that indicates that a person has officially passed away is when there's no more breath. Breath is that important to life. This is how God made us. And it doesn't take long in scripture to realize how important breath is. We get to Genesis chapter two. We're only the second chapter into all of scripture. And we hear this. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Did you hear it? God took dust and then breathed into it and formed a man from the dust, from the ground, from the dirt. And suddenly he was alive. The Hebrew word for ground is the word Adama. It means earth or ground, mud, clay, ashes, any of those kinds of things. That term should actually sound pretty familiar to us because God named the first human being Adam or Adam. Now, Adam means a humankind or man, but what we see is that Adam or Adam is very close to Adam Ah. So, literally, when you say the name Adam, what it literally sounds more like is ground man or dirt man. So, God takes this dirt, this ground, this earth, something that was totally common, and God breathes into it. And then what happens? Life. God's holy breath comes and breathes in new life out of the most ordinary of places from the ground, from the dust itself. And so we find this great paradox of what it actually means for us to be human beings. We are both fragile and vulnerable on the one hand, and yet we are holy. We are fragile and vulnerable and we are ordinary because we come from dust. That's all we are. Ecclesiastes 3.20 reminds us all people come from dust and eventually at some point to dust they will return. But at the same time, we are filled with the most holy life of all. The very breath of God takes our dusty, vulnerable, fragile, dirty conditions and God does something holy with that. So we're this amazing mix of human beings of dust and fragility and ordinariness and dirt on the one hand and God's holiness on the other wonderfully mixed together. It's incredible. When Jen and I were just starting in ministry many years ago, we knew very little about the basic elements of ministry or life in ministry. One of the things we knew nothing about was how you did taxes as a pastor because taxes for a pastor are rather different than those for other people. And my mentoring pastor at the time was a man named Bob Visdom. Bob currently serves a church in the York district. Bob's wife's name was Eileen. And Eileen was wonderful in every way. She was kind and compassionate, articulate and smart. She was a hard worker. Everybody who met Eileen absolutely loved her. She later became an administrative assistant for our church uh, by serving the York district in our conference. 
Eileen was the one who showed my wife, Jen, and I how to do our taxes so that literally we wouldn't get stuck paying a whole lot later that we hadn't prepared for. Eileen welcomed us into her house and took this young couple in ministry along with Bob and they just nurtured us and loved on us and welcomed us. Last year at annual conference, Eileen was elected to go to general conference that I was just at a few weeks ago. She was so respected by folks in our conference. She was one of the very first delegates elected. But by the fall of 2015, last year, she was diagnosed with an acute form of ovarian cancer. Now, after a very risky surgery, she did recover. I saw her in January of this year, 2016, at an event that she was working at. It was so good to see her and reconnect with her. But then in the last few months, we discovered that the cancer had returned. We at General Conference even sent her a card with all of our well wishes and prayers to her, hoping she would get better. We were all incredibly saddened and shocked to learn that just two weeks ago, she passed away from the cancer. My heart was so very sad to see this amazing woman who had touched so many lives pass away. We come from dust and to dust we will eventually return. We human beings are so fragile. And yet there was something holy about Eileen. She herself was not clergy, but presiding over her funeral service with both a district superintendent and the bishop of our conference. That doesn't happen very often. She worked for the conference, but to have the bishop there was an incredible thing. And on top of that, there were 450 people who came just to the funeral service itself, many of them clergy that she had impacted over the course of her life. Not one, not a couple, tons of clergy came and celebrated in her life. That speaks to her impact in the lives that she touched in so many ways because she was an incredible woman of faith. There was something holy about her because it was God's Holy Spirit that filled her and gave her life. And she shared that life with others. And there was something holy within that. That same God meets us here and right now in our own brokenness, in our own fragile state, in our own ordinariness, in our own dirtiness, in our own dustiness. God meets us here. Psalm 8 reminds us that God crowns us as human beings, even though we're dirt and dust, with glory and honor. We are sacred, divine dirt clods. Our life is but a breath, which means we're both fragile and holy at the same time. We are made by the creator of everything who fills us with his breath. The word for breath in the Bible is the same word, the exact same word as for spirit. In the Old Testament, it's the word ruach for the Hebrew. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word pneuma. The first Christians heard and believed that the spirit of God is breathed into us and that if the spirit of God lives in us, then God will give us life. What that means is that wherever God's breath, God's ruach, God's pneuma spirit shows up, there life occurs. No matter how ordinary, no matter how dusty, no matter how vulnerable, no matter how broken our lives may be. That's why Moses could be out tending his sheep like he had done a thousand times before and looking at the ordinary bushes he had looked at a thousand times before, except that when God's breath, God's Holy Spirit came upon one of those bushes, suddenly it caught on fire and Moses realized the ordinary had just become holy. It's why Ezekiel could be in a valley, literally looking out on dry bones piled on top of each other, dusty, dry, dirty bones just laying there. And then when God's spirit came upon them, something holy happened and life invaded that place and life filled that place. It's why Saul could be walking along a dusty, dirty, average road. 
an ordinary place. And then to have God's Holy Spirit fall upon Saul, his life was transformed and something holy happened and Saul became Paul. It's why ordinary folks could gather together for a feast that they had celebrated many times before, except that on this occasion, God's spirit fell upon them. God's breath fell upon them at Pentecost and God's church could be born. The ordinary became holy. And notice it's not just the breathing in of God that sanctifies us and makes us holy. It's also the blowing out. The early Christians understood that the same breath helps us be cleansed because when we breathe it in, then we blow out and we purge that which holds us back in God. We blow that out. We let God in and we blow out what needs to be left behind or would weigh us down or would not be of God. With God's breath, we are filled. And with God's breath, we blow out that which would seek to destroy our souls. What if we were willing to be totally honest about what those things were? What if we were to be completely honest about right now, whatever might be going on inside of us and share that and allow God through God's Holy Spirit to blow it out of us? Whatever it is that we're angry about, whatever it is that we're stressed about, whatever it is that we're concerned about, whatever it is that we're sad about, whatever it is that we, you name it, that pulls us away from God. Whatever that's filling our heads that we keep trying to push it away and it keeps coming back. If we just breathe it out through the power of God's Holy Spirit and say, God, take this. Are we willing to do that? I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus in chapter 11 of the gospel of Matthew says, come to me, you who are weary and laden and burdened, come to me. And he offers them a new yoke, one that he says is light, not heavy. Because in taking on the yoke of Christ, we take on the joy of life found in Christ. We get rid of the heavy woes in our life, along with that which would weigh us down. Jesus teaches us an awful lot about how to live and specifically how to breathe. Particularly in his teachings on how to live, Jesus often issued an invitation to simply do life with him. When Jesus comes to us in Matthew chapter 11, he promises through this relating and lightening the the yoke, he promises to give us breathing room, to give us rest. He invites us to take this yoke and learn from Christ so that we in our own life can learn to say, (sighs) now we might hear that and you might be sitting there and you might be thinking, well, that sounds good for you standing up front there, but you don't know my reality. You don't know my circumstances. There's no way to find rest in my life right now. There's no way to find breathing room in my life right now. If you knew what I had to deal with, you would know that anxiety is the norm and just pretending it's not there isn't going to work. So how can our yokes really be made light? I appreciate the thoughts of an author named Carrie Kent who reminds us it most certainly is possible. And here's why. When Jesus spoke of the idea of a yoke to his listeners in that day and in that culture, they would have understood it differently than what you and I do. Because in that day, a rabbi or a teacher like Jesus would tell his followers how he interpreted the Torah. That is the first five books of the Bible. And that interpretation on how to apply God's will in your life, how to live that out, That concept, that teaching, that living it out was called the yoke, the yoke of the rabbi. So for example, a rabbi's yoke was his teaching on what it meant to love your neighbor, to honor your parents, to apply the rules of religion in your life. All of those things constituted the yoke. 
So specific questions would be asked. Things like, what rules are most important to follow? What specific things do you need to do to apply those rules in your life? Things like that. Those were the questions rabbis addressed. And then a rabbi's disciples, they would take on his responses, his teachings. And in trying to apply that in their life, that was the yoke they were putting on. Using the rabbi as their model. So that's why when we come to the gospel stories, people are always coming up to Jesus as a rabbi. They're asking questions like, which is the most important commandment? Or who is my neighbor? Basically, what they're asking is, hey, Jesus, what's your yoke? And understanding this is crucial for us because usually we think of yokes as being these big, heavy things. They are burdensome. You might even think of an ox pulling with a yoke. So we're confused how God's yoke can really be light or leave room to breathe. But if a yoke is a way of life and it's the way of life that Jesus modeled, We see a new way to live that really does allow us to live more simply or with breathing room or with a focus on what's most important. Because when Jesus came with his yoke, he didn't give us the 600 plus rules to keep to to follow. We keep following this, but that wasn't the focus of Jesus. The focus of Jesus was love your neighbor as yourself. Love me first. And then with a life focused only on what's most important, we start to find that we give ourselves only to that which is most important. And therefore, all of our money and time and relationships, they don't get sucked up by insignificant things. And the result is a life where we can breathe more. And the yoke can really be lightened. When we remember this, when we try to emulate our master, we're reminded also, we're not doing this just on our own. Jesus is saying, here's my yoke. You go figure it out and take it by yourself. We are yoked to Jesus, with Jesus, which means we're not by ourselves. Jesus shares equally, if not more, in the burden of life and in the transformation of our life. He is with us and for us. And so when he gives us this yoke, it's not just on our shoulders alone. It's not just the weight of the world on our shoulders by ourselves, but Jesus says, here, I come with you. I will carry the yoke with you. And when we realize that, and when we live into that, then we can start to breathe. So here God and Jesus takes us And invites us to take on this yoke, which he says is easy and light and allows us to breathe. And yet, so many of us don't do that. We get distracted. We keep ourselves busy. We live in fear. We remain skeptical if this whole thing can really work. And so functionally, nothing changes in our lives. We keep running always out of breath. And the ironic part is we then miss out on the very breath and life that God has designed us to have. What God made us to have. The very breath that would take a normal day and make it a holy day. The breath that gives us energy and life and zeal. Oh, to be a church that understood what it meant to breathe. And that we really did it. You know, I come almost every week, or not every week, but a lot of weeks. I share with you because I just love it and it means so much to me about an experience that I've had at first night. And you know that first night meets Wednesday nights in this particular space, and we have a meal and a worship experience together. But if I'm honest with you, almost every week, I almost don't make it. Because my memory is short, 
and I forget how wonderful an experience it is. And so I get to most Wednesdays, and it's 4 o'clock, 4.15, 4.30, and I'm looking at my watch. I'm thinking, i got to go over at 5 o'clock, but i just got to finish this, and if I can just get this done. And, man, I'm almost done. And I've still got three things, but I should really go across the street. But, you know, I, and I feel like because I can't breathe... Because I'm so focused on these other things that I'm like, I'm not going to have time to go over there. And if I don't go over there, I can actually finish up and then I can create some bathing room, except there's always three more things waiting. So I almost don't come. But I know that people are expecting me there, and so I come over and I get there. And then when I get here, something interesting happens. Usually after an opening prayer, I like to walk through at least one of the lines where people are waiting to to get their food. And I start at the front and work my way backwards so I can talk to or see as many people as I can. And I like to just shake their hand and take just a moment and look in their eye. And I thank them for being there and I welcome them. And then they look at me and they smile or they nod their head or they say thank you. And when we do that, I begin to realize I am the one blessed because they're teaching me what it means to love my neighbor. They teach me what it means to slow down and pause. They teach me what it means to be there in the moment, and it's absolutely beautiful, and I treasure it. And then a few weeks ago, one of the children who is, and I shall just say, not always the most cooperative, came up to me and said, well, surprised me and caught me off guard, because when I looked at him, my first thought was, what mischief are you getting into now? But he surprised me when he said, in all seriousness, Pastor, can we pray? I said, well, of course. Again, kind of surprised. Why? And he said, I have a scrape on my back and it really hurts. Can we pray for God to take that pain away? It's like, absolutely. And we did. And we prayed. And suddenly in that moment, I realized my ordinary day had just become extraordinary I had been standing in a gym, but now I was standing on holy ground because God's breath and presence had entered that place. A normal day became divine. God again entered our dust and our pain and brought forth the holy. You know, you and I think things like first night and vacation Bible school this week, which I hope everyone will be a part of, and transform week in August, which again, I hope everyone will be a part of, and our small groups and our tutoring and our serving our kids and serving our youth and serving as a Stephen minister and all of these wonderful opportunities. You and I usually look at those things as they are, as if they are extra burdens on our schedule, one more thing to fit in. And it sounds like that creates less breathing room in our lives. But what if, what if we've just been looking at it wrong? What if those are actually invitations to love our neighbors and they're invitations that actually allow us to breathe because they allow us to recognize what's truly important and to love our neighbors like Jesus instructs and to take on a new yoke, one that describes that which is most important in life. And that when we do that, not only do we start to set aside some of the more insignificant things, but now we're doing the very thing that God created us to do, to breathe and to share that breath with others. What needs to happen in our lives so that we can truly breathe? God, we pray this day that you will do whatever, whatever you need to do in order to open our hearts and our souls and our minds to your holy breath, that God, you will come and do whatever you need to to fill us with your breath and your life so that we can go and share it with the world. 
a world that is seeking to be filled with life because it's so out of breath all the time. Let us do that which we were made for. Let us breathe, church. Let us breathe.